But today we're going to talk about Ruth. We're gonna, so last week we kind of painted a portrait of Naomi. This week we're going to paint a portrait of Ruth. Uh, but before we, we dive in, I wanted to um, just briefly, I was thinking this morning of like why we gather here on Sunday morning. Uh, not specifically here and not specifically at the time, but why do we gather at all in, in this space? I think it's always important to, to ask uh, the question why and remember why. Because we all know this is not all we do. Like I'm even uncomfortable calling this like church as in this is the only thing the church does. This is a thing that we do as a, as a church community. So it's just important to ask why. And, and um, the, the thing that, that kind of came to my mind and it's something that we, we've talked about at, at various times, but what we really expect in this space is for us to meet, meet with God as a community, to hear from God and to be able to respond to what God says to us. Now, we all may hear different things. Sometimes it might be related to something I say or, or whoever's up here says or something in the song or just something completely out of the blue. But, but what we should expect in this space is that God will meet us here, that he will speak to us, that he will give us something uh, that will form us and shape us and encourage us or challenge us uh, to live uh, our lives in a way that, that honors him. So, so that being said... Uh, what I would encourage you to do today is just have, I have a bunch of pens laid out. I always do have a pen on you. You don't need to take notes by any means about what I say. <laughs> not like that's not the intention at all. Um, but what I would encourage you to do is if you have the bulletins or we have, have some, some, uh, book, uh, what are those note cards sitting out a uh, journal? Uh, if thank you, I was going to say post-it notes. What? The things you used all I did. Yeah, I was big on the the flashcard. What I would encourage you to do, index card. Yeah. As as we're reading the scripture, as you're hearing kind of my thoughts on it, as you're just maybe maybe daydreaming about life or whatever you got on your mind. If if God just says something to your heart, I encourage you to just write it down um, and remember it. And, and maybe write down a way that you can respond to, to that, whatever he says to us in his word today or, or something like that. Because if we're not leaving here uh, uh, formed by God and, and shaped by God, then I would say it's really not worth gathering at all. You know, So um, we don't just do this to check the box. I'm the first one to tell you if, if you got something better to do on Sunday morning that will help you meet God, do it. Uh, this is not, not a, uh, um, a legalistic thing to be here. Uh, but if you are here, um, let's, let's expect God to meet us here too and, and speak to us. So can we, can, we, can we do that today? Just Again, I know all you know that already. I just felt like it's an important reminder um, and, and really something that we should expect every time we, every time we open up God's word, but especially when we're gathering, gathering together in community uh, around God's word. So... All right, so all that being said, let's dive into Ruth. Okay, we're in our third uh, week here in Ruth. Uh, Ruth is the little story in the big story. Okay, we talked about in in, uh, week one um, last month that Ruth is is this little kind of unassuming, really at first glance, ordinary story about three rather ordinary people that are experiencing, particularly Naomi and Ruth, experiencing a lot of suffering, a lot of hardship, um, but, but then we see, when we see the big picture, we see that this little story plays uh, such an important role in God's big story. And it, it's a little um, kind of real-life, practical uh, uh, 
application of the bigger work that God's doing in the world. Okay, so it's the little story and the big story. We played a game in week one um, where we had pictures and we saw how um, they, they were zoomed in pictures on objects. So zoomed in that it's hard to make out what the object was, right? Just the little details. And then we tried to guess what the object was. We saw the big picture and then we realized, you know, now we look at the zoomed in picture. It's a lot easier to tell what it is. Once you have the big picture, the little details begin to make sense. And so week one, we wanted to get the big picture. What is Ruth all about? How does it fit into the larger story of what God's doing in the world? And now we're, we're moving in and, and looking at the details. Last week, uh, we, we talked about Naomi's story and we were presented with the question. Uh, now, Naomi's story makes up the bookends of the book, right? We, we, so we talked about Ruth one and, and Naomi's situation, the things that she'd experienced. And then uh, what's going to happen? We, we talked about the end of the story and how Naomi went from empty to full, right? Broken to, to made whole. And that's, that's the bookends of, of the story. Um, and we were presented with the question, where is God in our brokenness, right? When we experience uh, real hardship, impossible situations, immense brokenness like Naomi, uh, we're, we're kind of forced to face that question. Where is God in all this? Um, we saw that, that uh, Naomi faced this, this impossible uh, situation, just utter brokenness, to the point where you know, we could safely say she's, she's as good as dead, right? She's done for. Uh, her husband has died. Her, her two sons have died. She has no grandchildren, no children, no promise for a future. Uh, she's as good as dead as well, okay? And, and she's faced with this question, where is God? Where is God in this? Okay, and how, how can I move forward? So a little recap uh, just before we dive into kind of talking about Ruth because they're in the same setting, right? So these first five verses kind of sets a framework for Naomi's life and her situation. You know, they apply to Ruth as well. Um, so a couple points. Uh, this took place in the days of the judges. If you remember, that's the first line of the book. It happened in the days of the judges. And uh, we, we talked a little bit about that, all right? That as an ancient Near Eastern uh, Israelite reader would, would kind of put up some red flags, okay? This is a dark, dark time in Israel's history. Okay? The book of Judges is just full of horrible, awful uh, things. Um, God's people not living up to what God uh, asked them to do um, and really doing horrible things to one another and, and bad things happen to them. Uh, we see at the end of the book of Judges, in Judges um, first, uh, chapter 21, verse 25, it says, In those days the judges ruled, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Okay, so it's like, it's, it's anarchy, right? People are just doing whatever they, they think is best for themselves, without regard uh, for what's good for the community, what's good for others. It's a bad time. Uh, it's a bad time for Israel. It's a bad time to be a widow, right? A vulnerable person like Naomi was, um, where in a society where a uh, very patriarchal society where women uh, didn't have much of a voice, didn't have the ability to, to uh, make a life for themselves. And, and so without a husband, without sons, without grandsons to care for her, to look at, after her, to provide for her, uh, Naomi is, is in a really, really bad place, okay, in the days of the judges. Um, next, we see there's a famine in the promised land, right? There's a famine in Israel. 
Okay, this is God's promised land, the land flowing of mil- of, of, with milk and honey, the land where God promised he would always provide. Okay, this is the land of God's presence, so they thought, right? This is where God's presence, the hot spot of God's presence was in, in Israel, in Jerusalem. Okay, so if there's a famine in the land, an interesting thing, they're from Bethlehem. Okay, Bethlehem, the Hebrew word for that means, uh, or the Hebrew word Bethlehem means house of bread. So there's no, no bread in the house of bread. Okay, it's, it's something that we're supposed to say, wow, this is not the way it should be, right? What's going on here? Where is God? Okay, so, so that's, that's a bad sign, right? So that's the first verse. Days of the judges, famine in the land. Now you have a family, Naomi, uh, her husband, Elimelech, um, her sons, Malon and Kilion, are forced to flee Israel, and they are now famine refugees in the land of Moab. Okay. Moab is a, uh, a place that is not friendly to Israelite people. Um, it, they, are, they, they were the, uh, the biggest and most violent uh, enemy of Israel at that time. Okay? Um, there was a, in Judges chapter 3, it says that Israel was enslaved by Moab, conquered and enslaved by Moab for 18 years. Okay? So, so that's the background of this story. You have, you have these, these four Israelites um, existing in the days of the judges. There's a famine in the land. They're forced to flee to a country that is not uh, friendly to them. Um, that, that they probably were not welcomed very kindly. Um, it would be like, uh, you know, if, if we put it in our modern context, it would be like Ukrainian refugee fleeing to Russia, right? Um, they don't know if they're going to be received very well, and they don't know what's going to happen. Uh, so bad situation for this family. On top of that, Naomi is now widowed, right? Elimelech dies. Malone and Kilion die. And then you have uh, Naomi, who is, is left alone, okay, with no promise for a future. Um, and, and we're supposed to read into that, that Naomi is essentially dead as well. Yeah, there's even a part in, in the first few verses where after these, these people die, she's just referred to as the woman. And then she goes home. She's not like lost her name, right? Lost her identity. She goes home. She's like, don't call me Naomi anymore, right? Call me Mara, which means bitter. Naomi means beautiful. Mara means, means bitter. There's a lot of, lot of imagery here, right? They live in a time, they live in a land that's supposed to be beautiful. The promised land, flowing with milk and honey but they find the land to be bitter and empty. Okay? It's all, it all is really, really a beautiful, um, poetic uh, book here. Um, and and we'll, we'll probably dive into all those things at the end when we, uh, last week we talked about this when we wrap it up, because there's more there that I think is really, really helpful to see. Um, but anyway, this week we're going to be introduced to Ruth, the Moabite. Okay? She's a Moabite uh, woman, young woman. Uh, she is poor, okay, hopeless. Uh, she's a widow, right, who is thrust into a foreign culture. Now they're going back to Israel. She's thrust into a foreign culture alongside her suffering mother-in-law. Okay, so all those things that we, we think about for Naomi, um, you know, the kind of hopelessness of her situation, the same could be said for, for Ruth, okay? Um, and uh, I would encourage you uh, to go back on the podcast and give last week a listen to get, get some more context for that, because um, that's kind of what we talked about. All right. So um, 
to preface uh, just a little bit of what we're talking about here with Ruth, we're going to see how this, this Moabite woman, right? And Moab, Moab was seen as an enemy of God, right? The, the nation of Moab, enemy of Israel, by extension, seen as an enemy of God. We're going to see how this Moabite woman is going to display God's radical love in a time and a day where very few people, particularly Israelite people, we just read Ruth comes right after Judges. You just read this book of Judges, story after story of, of Israelite people, judges, okay, who were appointed by God to, to lead and, and keep his people accountable, all right, were constantly failing to love well. And now we see this Moabite woman, right, who loves, loves like God loves. It's really amazing, really amazing how, how this... And God always seems to do that. He flips things around and, and things happen in really unexpected ways. So, so this Moabite woman is going to display God's radical love at a time where the Israelite people and, and most others were not loving well. And we're going to see how God is going to use the love of this Moabite woman, not only to restore Naomi, as we talked about last week, but it's actually going to, to move uh, uh, the nation of Israel towards a place of restoration. Okay. And not only that, it's going to move the world towards a place of restoration. And what I mean by that, um, is, uh, we, we saw last week at the end of the book, we're just given, uh, um, it kind of ends with a little genealogy and it says that we see that Ruth, uh, is not only the, the, the mother of now what, what will be seen as Naomi's son, Obed, but Obed becomes the father of Jesse, uh, who becomes the father of King David. Okay? And it ends on that line, that, that, that this leads to King David. And what, what the Israelites' readers are thinking at that time is King David was the high point in Israel's history. Okay? The, most, the, the most beautiful time in Israel's history. There's things that were wrong, no doubt. But, but it was a really, really wonderful time in Israel's history, the, the, the best part. Um, so we go from the darkest time in Israel's history to arguably the best time in Israel's history, and all through way of this loving Moabite woman. All right, so the restoration, it's more than just what's happening in Naomi's life. It's what's happening in Israel. And then we know that King David leads to Jesus, right? The climax of God's redemptive work that he's doing in this world. Okay, all through this this uh, Moabite woman, this enemy of God, okay? God's going to do this. So it's pretty, pretty amazing. Um, so we're going to see uh, how, uh, this is kind of the, the main point. We're going to see how those that we see as God's enemies, okay? Those that we see uh, as, as people that are maybe opposed to God, God sees as his children, okay? Those that we see as God's enemies, God sees as his Children, And he often uses those that we least expect uh, to, to do his work of restoration and healing in this world. We see that in Jesus' life when he picks these 12 men that you'd least expect for God to pick okay, to do, do his work in the world. Jesus surrounds himself with these men. And those are the people that he chooses to walk with to do the greatest work of healing and restoration that we've, we've ever seen in this world. So... Um, so that's, that's what we're going to see. This is a story of resurrection, a story of resurrection from death to life. Naomi goes from death to life. Israel goes from darkness and, and death to, to life. And, and ultimately the world is moving from a place of death and, and darkness to life in Jesus. Okay, this is a story of resurrection. 
All right, so all that being said, let's dive into Ruth chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 6. All right, Ruth chapter 1, verse 6. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab and return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. If you want to know what that road looks like, it's the picture on the right. We'll talk a little bit more about those pictures in a minute. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters, Go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' home, for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. Then again, they wept together and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. All right. So we have these three widows Okay, they're setting out on a journey from Moab to Israel. And, and I want us to imagine this. If you look in your bulletin, you'll see two pictures I've included in there. Uh, the first one on the left being um, kind of an aerial view of, of Palestine, okay, modern Palestine, Israel. Um, that body of water that you see in the center is the Dead Sea. Let's see, you're familiar with where this is? It's, it's the east east kind of coast of the Mediterranean. All right. So I, if you can see, uh, can you see the words there? Well, I didn't look Yeah, the, in white. Okay. So you got Moab on one side of the Dead Sea and Judah where Bethlehem is on the other side. Okay. So this journey would have taken them about 10 days okay, to walk around, uh, that, that Northern part of the Dead Sea. Um, and it will have been long, long days. Now, that second picture is uh, a current picture of the road that goes from Jericho to Jerusalem. Jericho would be uh, right over the river. If you're familiar with your Sunday school lessons, they come over the River Jordan, which is that river north of, of the, uh, the, the sea. This isn't like exactly north-south, but it's that river coming up and out from, from the Red or the Dead Sea, and Jericho would be just to the left of that river. Okay, now uh, I should have marked them, but Jerusalem would be quite a bit of ways down kind of through the mountainous region. 
All right, so, so now this is a modern picture. You see there's a little road, little dirt road there. All right, they wouldn't have, they might have like a footpath, okay, maybe carriages and stuff. But this is rough terrain that we see these, these three women and, and soon to be two women uh, uh, walking on. Okay, we also know, if, uh, again, referencing other stories in scripture that, that would be kind of contextualized with this, uh, the, the story of the Good Samaritan that Jesus tells. The road that that Good Samaritan is traveling on when, when robbers come and, and beat him up, and obviously it's a parable, but it's a parable that references real things that would have happened. Uh, uh, thieves come and beat him up on this road. That's happening on this road from Jericho to Jerusalem. That's the road he's on. Okay, so th- that people would, would be waiting to, to jump people, to rob people, to kill people. Um, there, was, there was wild animals and, and, and just uh, it's the desert, so really cold at night, really hot at the, in, in the day. I mean, this is really rough. Okay, it's a miracle that these uh, women made this journey. Okay, now, um, uh, we know from last week that the ancient Near Eastern world is not a safe world for, for women, much less widows. Okay? And so they're going on this remote, rugged road. And, and I mean, it's, it's really amazing that they were able to make this journey and not, not be killed, not die. All right. So I want us to understand that when Ruth is making this choice to go with Naomi uh, for, for many reasons, but this being one, she's, she's doing something pretty, pretty stupid, to be honest. It is a stupid thing for Ruth to do. All right. And we'll talk more about that and, and why she might do that. Um, and how that actually reflects God and, and the things that he often does. Um, but, but I want us to, to, to realize that, okay? So, so, so just hold on to that. Um, Carolyn Curtis James, uh, again, I quoted her last week, uh, reading a quote that I, I read last week because it, it applies and I think it's important to remember. She's an expert on Ruth, Old Testament scholar. Um, I want us to hear this again. So she says, alone in the ancient culture, unprotected widows became targets for abuse, exploitation, assault, and even human trafficking. Anyone could abuse them with impunity since there is no male or legal system to defend them. Their future is frightening, promising only poverty, vulnerability, and misery. Okay, this is life for these women as they're going on this journey, as they're returning from Moab to Israel. This is true for Naomi as well as her daughters, Ruth and Orpah. So you can understand uh, why Naomi would insist for these two women to return home. She loves her daughters-in-law. She doesn't want them to to suffer the same fate that she is going to suffer. Ruth and Orpah have no hope for a future with Naomi. She says, one, that she's too old uh, to... to, um, bear children. She has no other sons for them to marry. A common practice in that day was, you know, if your husband died, you'd marry uh, one of his brothers um, as kind of like this surrogate husband so that you could continue your dead husband's legacy. Okay. All right. Sounds weird to us. It's going to be really important to this story as we go on. All right. And we're going to have to get around the weirdness of that. Um, One of the reasons why people had multiple wives, sometimes it was because they did what they weren't supposed to and, and collected wives like trophies. But other times it was because family members died and you need to take this woman in uh, and care for her and protect her, but also um, help, help the, the line of your sibling go on. All right. So, so again, um, strange to us. 
are really important for, for not only the Israelite culture, but most ancient Near Eastern cultures. Okay, but, but Naomi's saying, I'm too old to have kids, and, and I have no husband, I have no other son. Even if I were to get married today and get pregnant and have a child, are you going to wait till this, this boy's old enough and then marry him? You're not going to do that, right? That's what she says. Okay, so she says it, it makes no sense for, for you to stick around with me and, and wait and hope that, well, there, there is no future. So there's no future to hope for. Okay, so she says go. We, we also um, pointed out another thing that, that often gets overlooked uh, is in this book is that there's an unspoken assumption that Ruth and Orpah are barren. Okay, we talked about this last week. It's been 10 years they've been married to these two, two men. Okay, they're not waiting around, saving up, trying to travel or enjoy life. The, 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 their job was to have children. So month after month for 10 years, uh, disappointment after disappointment for Naomi and for these two women. All right? the, the assumption is that they're most likely barren. Now, it could be the sons, but in, in that culture, it's assumed that the woman's the issue. Okay? Um, so another thing that would be like, you know, hey, you know, come in with me. There's, there's just not much reason for that, not much hope. So it's a bad situation for these women. Okay, they all know that the best bet is for them to return home to their families and maybe find some relative that will marry them, will take them under their wing, care for them. Um, uh, and, and this would essentially be out of pity, right? Uh, because one, another thing we know, and I don't think we talked about this last week, uh, is these two women uh, um, uh, are, well, so they're, they're, they're barren widows who married into a family of, of foreign refugees, okay? So think, think about that. Like Malone and Kilion, famine refugees from Israel, an enemy nation. They're, they're not high on the list of eligible bachelors, okay? We, we often think of Ruth as this, uh, you know, beautiful, um, attractive, uh, lovely woman, right? Like that, that anyone would want to marry. We make this into some sort of love story, Disney princess love story. Okay, most likely Ruth was not that. Otherwise, she would have had probably a nice, rich Moabite man to marry. Do you get that? Like, so, so all that being said, like, any hope for them is to go back and find someone who just shows them kindness and shows them pity and takes them into their home. And that's their, their best bet. It's a bad situation either way. Um, so, and we'll talk more about kind of Ruth and, and, uh, and, and her situation. But uh, the important thing to know is, is Ruth and Orpah are not quality options for brides. Otherwise, they would not have married Malone and Killian. Okay? Um, so all that being said... Uh, returning home is, is their, at best, a last-ditch effort for these women to have some sort of future. Okay, they would, and, and, and they would also be really essentially leaving Naomi for dead. They just wouldn't be joining her in that. Okay? Um, the logical assumption is that going home is all that they have left. So Orpa did not do uh, – Orpah returns home. She, she's not doing a bad or evil thing by returning home. She's doing the sensible thing. She's doing the, the, really the only thing that she conceivably has left to do is to return home. Now, Ruth does not do that. All right? So let's uh, continue on. This is the last scripture, uh, the portion of scripture we're going to read. We're just going to read 16 through 18. 
in chapter 1. But Ruth replied, Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Assuming that's not very far off. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. All right. So this is this is really an amazing moment here. Okay. Um, uh, and, and it really is is a, a point where we should just assume like Ruth's giving up her life in this moment. And she says, she says, God, may God punish me severely if anything but death separates me from you. And the assumption is that these two women are headed for that. If not on the journey home, fairly soon after they get home. Ruth puts Naomi and her needs above everything else. Okay, I said this was a stupid thing to do, but it's a, it's a stupid loving thing to do. It's reckless, right? Like, the, like that you know, really popular song about God's reckless love. This is, this is reckless for Ruth to do this. She's putting Naomi's needs above everything else. She puts aside any conceivable chance at a future, everything she's ever known, her country, her home, her safety, and, and most likely her life. She puts all that aside for Naomi, her mother-in-law. This is not the logical thing for Ruth to do. Orpah did the logical thing. But this is a radical, unthinkable, self-sacrificing display of love. And here we have the first display, uh, this first example of this radical, self-giving, unceasing love that serves as the central theme for, for this whole book. Okay, it's this kind of love that moves this book forward. Ruth's going to show it. Uh, we're going to see Naomi uh, uh, tries to show it um, and, and, and does show it, but Ruth won't let her most of the time. We're going to see that Boaz shows it. Okay? It's this kind of love that, that is the theme for this book. And there's many words in the Hebrew language um, for the different kinds of love. But the love that we see here is called, called hesed. Okay? Hesed. It's a Hebrew word, hesed, and, and you may be familiar with the Greek translation of this word, agape. Okay, that's, that's the kind of love that we're talking about here. Hesed is the central theme throughout the book of Ruth. The characters, uh, Ruth, Naomi, Boaz, they all show hesed uh, to one another, uh, and this is God's sacrificial, unfailing love. It's unconditional. Okay, it, it doesn't end because the circumstances change. It puts the other's need above your own needs. It puts, it puts your life and, and everything that is comfortable and good for you and, and all that aside for the good of the other. That's what said is. Okay? It's what Jesus did on the cross for us, even though we didn't deserve it. Okay? And it would have been very easy for him to say, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Um, that's this kind of love that we're talking about. Uh, Paul Miller uh, is the author of A Loving Life. Uh, he writes this. He writes, Hesed 
is a determination to do someone good no matter what, to be faithful to someone regardless of its impact on you. It wills to love when every fiber in your body screams, run. Hesed is unconditional. Okay? It doesn't change with the circumstances or when things get hard. Hesed can seem self-destructive. Okay? It's reckless. It puts the needs and the good of the other over your own. Hesed is what God offers to all of us. Okay? It's, it's what we are called to offer to those around us. When Jesus calls us to love our neighbor as ourselves, that's what he's talking about, Hesed. A love that puts our neighbor's good over our own good. So this is what Ruth does for Naomi. This is the way that Ruth loves Naomi. And, and we see that she, she, she says, may God punish me severely if anything but death separates us. She's speaking a curse over herself, right? Like they, they, I, well, I guess we kind of do this, but we don't think it actually happened. But it's like, cross my heart, hope to die, right? Like the, the thing we said when we were kids. It's like, what you're saying there, and, and again, we don't, but if I'm lying or if I don't keep to my word, I hope that I die. Okay, so, so Ruth's saying that, and she believes it. Okay, she's saying, if, if I don't keep with my covenant promise to you, my faithful love to you, if I cease to love you with this hesed kind of love, then may God just kill me. May he punish me severely. May he end me. Okay, nothing but death will separate me from you. That's what Ruth's saying to Naomi. She speaks this curse over herself because she knows that this sort of love never fails. The love that she feels for Naomi, the love that she's showing Naomi will never end. Okay? And this moment sets the tone for the rest, rest of the book. Naomi's gonna, uh, Ruth is going to make good on this promise. She's going to continually show Hesed putting Naomi's needs over herself, sacrificing her own good and her own safety for her mother-in-law over and over again. We're going to see some of these stories uh, in coming weeks about how she does this and, and how, how radical and reckless the love is that she's showing Naomi. But through this radical and reckless and faithful love, God is going to do an amazing work of resurrection in the lives of these women. And as we talked about in the nation of Israel itself and, and, and throughout the whole world, has said... Is, is God's vehicle for redemption. It's, it's God's vehicle for restoration. It's how God brings about the goodness and the wholeness and the peace and the restoration that he is bringing about. Both the, the hesed he shows and as well as the hesed that we show one another. Okay? It's a very, very important thing. So over the next couple gatherings, we're going to look at how Ruth continues, continues to do this. But we'll, we'll close our time uh, for today with, with just some application and reflection. Because um, <clears throat> I want us to just continue how, uh, I want us to consider how Ruth's role in this story. Before we move on and talk about the other examples of this, I want us to think about how Ruth's role in this story teaches us uh, quite a bit about God's love for his enemies. It's going to be a little bit longer than, than you're probably thinking. Sorry. <laughs> Um, not that much longer. Go get some water. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> Just want to let you know. I did say closing, but yeah, we're almost done. Almost done. Um, anyway. Uh, Ruth, so, so, all right. All that being said, we're going to look at some more examples of Hesed in the coming weeks, but I want us to, to think about Ruth 
and her role in this story. What is the significance of God working through this woman, this Moabite, this widow? Okay, what are we supposed to make? Uh, oh, 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 um, what are we supposed to make of this Moabite woman playing such an instrument, instrumental role, not only in Naomi's life, but in the history of Israel, and not only the history of Israel, but but in God's big story that He is writing in this world. Okay. Um, and, and what this teaches us, I believe, is, is it teaches us about how God treats his enemies, how God loves his enemies. Those, those people that we see as opposed to God, as, as enemies of God, God sees us as children. And God loves and not only loves and shows grace to and, 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 and invites into his family, but wants to actually use to do good in the world around. So, so the, let me break that down just a little bit for you. Um, Again, remember, my, Moabites were, were Israel's greatest and most violent enemy. Okay, so Ruth, she didn't have anything to do with, with Moabites' evil against Israel, but uh, she would be seen as a representation of that. Okay, I, I'm, I'm not assuming, I, you know, bigotry. Uh, I'm sure the Israelites, we know the Israelites were, were not all um, immune to that. Uh, This is why we see, and we'll read through um, in coming weeks more of the book of Ruth, we see constantly, she's not just called Ruth, she's called Ruth the Moabite, Ruth from Moab. Uh, Over and over again, she's labeled uh, as one from Moab, okay, so that we don't forget who this woman is, that we don't forget what she represents as a violent uh, enemy of Israel, a, a, a nation that has conquered and enslaved Israelites, who has killed brothers and sisters of Israelites, she is an enemy, okay? And the, the author wants us to remember that, all right? So, so we have Ruth, this enemy of God, and she's doing this work, and, and God's working through her. And, and it, it's really remarkable how that God would use this poor widow from Moab to play such an instrumental part in his story. And we got to ask, why would he do this? What, and what is he trying to teach us about the way he views his so-called enemies, right? So, so understand this distinction. I want just us to think about this for a second. Knowing what we know about the setting of this story, you know, all the things we talked about, the context, how would an Israelite likely treat Ruth the Moabite? Okay, she's a Moabite, so they might feel hatred towards her, Okay. Um, they might, they would despise her and, and what she represents. Okay. Moabites were not friendly and, and Israelites were not friendly to Moabites. They probably wouldn't be welcoming and hospitable to her. Um, they probably would not show her, uh, compassion and grace. She's also a widow and a refugee. Now Israelites were called to love and, and accept and, and, and accept the foreigner as one of their own and all that. But that didn't happen, especially in the time of the judges. At best, they might show her pity and kind of look at her as, as this, you know, oh, man, she's really down on her luck and, and kind of have pity over her situation. Uh, but that's not what God wants, right? But this is, this is what Ruth might have been experiencing as she enters into this place, this, Israel, uh, this Israelite nation. Um, anger, uh, hatred, um, bigotry. Uh, uh, they might despise her. They may show her pity for her situation as a, as a, as a refugee, as a, as a widow, as a foreigner. Um, but that's, that's probably what she experienced. Now, h- how should an Israelite treat Ruth? 
Okay, according to God's law, right, which, which was written before this story, they should show love and compassion towards the widow. They should welcome and care for the foreigner, no matter where they're from. All right, the, the whole love your enemies thing didn't just come around when Jesus showed up. Okay, God's been talking about that all through the Old Testament. Loving the foreigner, accepting the refugee, caring for the widow. Okay, that's how they should treat Ruth. Um, not only that, but Israel is called to be a, a blessing to the nations. Okay. This goes back to the origin of Israel in, in Genesis 12, when God calls Abraham and he says, I'm going to make you a, a great nation so that, and I'm going to bless you so that you could be a blessing to the world. Okay. When, when we talk about Israel as God's chosen people, we don't talk about that as, as Israel is this exclusive group that God only loves them. He's chosen them to be his vehicle of blessing to the world. He's blessed Israel so that they would be a blessing to the world. That's what the Israelites are called to be. Okay, so that includes um, nations like Moab. Okay, so an Israelite should see this, this Moabite widowed refugee and they should, treat them, they should treat her with compassion, with, with love, uh, accept her as one of their own, um, show hospitality and grace, and, and show hesed. Okay? They should bless her uh, as, 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 uh, as one would, would bless a, a family member or a child. Because okay? that's what Israel is called to. Now, that's probably not what Ruth experienced. What, what I, the reason I bring that up, because I think this is really important, is... What do we see happening in this story? Who is showing the love and compassion? Who is being the blessing, the blessing to the, the, the foreigner, the one who is from a different nation? It's Ruth, right? It's the Moabite who is being what God has called his people to be. It's the widow who is showing compassion to the widow. It's, it's um, this so-called enemy of God who is joining God in his work of restoration and resurrection in this, in this story, in this space. Okay, we see in God's kingdom, things are often flipped upside down. Okay, where the people we least expect are the ones that represent God and show God in the greatest way. And the ones that God uses for the greatest things. Okay, it's not the Israelite, it's the Moabite. It's not this, this uh, uh, rich, wealthy, beautiful um, bride. Okay? It's the, the poor widow that no one wanted. That is the one that reflects Jesus' love in this story most, uh, most brightly. Okay? It's amazing. And, and that is really important. So how does God treat his enemies? Okay, he is not a nationalistic God. He doesn't show favoritism. Instead, he offers the same love and the same compassion and the same blessings to those that we perceive as his enemies as, as those who he's, who he's called to be his, his partners in this work, to, to Israel. Right? He treats them the same. Not only that, but he invites them to join him in being agents of his love, compassion, and blessing to the world. 
He invites them to do what Israel thought was their exclusive calling, to be the blessing to the nations. And and they often uh, failed to do that well. But so often in the Bible, like in the story of Ruth, we see that God's enemy, the one that we'd least expect, is the one who, who steps into that calling most boldly and most perfectly. We see that Ruth does a better job than any Israelite in that time. As we read through the stories and the judges and, and, and at all at that time, Ruth, no one does a better job at loving like God loves than Ruth, this Moabite widow. Okay, so how does this change the way that we see the world? And, and now, Brooks, you can grab your guitar. How does it change the way that we view those around us? Because this could, should cause us to look differently at the, as those that we see as being far from God. Okay, I think the, the um, and, and sometimes there's good reasons for this, but like we're seen as, as looking at people as, as, as projects, people that we need to save, people that we need to fix and correct and teach and reach, okay? Or, or people that we look down upon. Because they don't, they don't know God or they don't live lives like we think they should live. And what this story tells us is those people that we look at and we see, man, they, they're far from God or they, they're, they're opposed to God. Um, we should look at them and, and, and see them like God sees them, as children of God, as people made in God's image, as people that God wants to use in his great story in this world. And, and rather than uh, uh, entering into their lives to try to just kind of teach them something or fix them or whatever, we enter into their lives knowing that they have something to teach us. Okay? And it's not just us loving them, but we can actually experience God's love through them. Okay? And we can learn about God through someone that we see as far from God. But we do need to enter into their lives. Okay? Not as saviors but as brothers and as sisters and as friends. And they might not know uh, who Jesus is and they might not know uh, uh, God and, and, and his word and the things that, that he desires of us, but some of that's been embedded on their hearts. And, and when we walk with them as brothers and as sisters and as people who, who love them and, and want to do life with them, we can draw those things out. Again, it's not about us fixing them. It's about us drawing out the image of God that is in them. Okay? And allowing them to love like God loves. Loving them, certainly. We, we absolutely should be loving them, but not expecting that we won't see uh, a glimpse of God in them as well. Okay? Do you, you guys see the distinction there? Uh, who is the Moabite in your life? Who is the one that... that Maybe you look on, on them, uh, hopefully not with, with hatred, but, but you, you don't like what they represent. Um, you think that they are opposed to God. They are they're doing bad in the world or whatever it might be. Uh, maybe you look at them with pity or, or, or whatever. Who is the Moabite? And instead of seeing them in that way, let's see them as God sees them. Let's see them as, as people that are capable of, of doing amazing demonstrations of love. People that are capable of teaching us something about God. That we might have blind spots that we might have. They might reveal that. So um, all that being said, I want you to think about that as we worship.
Uh, Brooks is going to lead us through some songs. Who's that person um, or those people that you see as, as, as far from God? And, and how can you enter into uh, uh, their lives and, and enter into their journey? Again, not as saviors, not as someone who's better than them, but as someone who's walking with them, walking alongside them, who, who has something to offer but also has something to receive from them. Okay? Um, that's what I want us to think about this week. So thank you guys. Let me pray and then we'll worship. God, I just um, thank you so much for your word, Father, and, and uh, thank you for what you're doing in this community, what you're doing in our hearts. Um, I pray, God, that every time that we, we, we open your word, uh, which hopefully we get to do that uh, every day, I pray that we are made into more loving people, more gracious people, uh, more forgiving people, more patient people. Um, that we can reflect Ruth, uh, this Moabite woman who, who is the last person that we'd expect to, to live a life that looks like you, that we would reflect her and that we would humbly and graciously love uh, our enemies or people that we see as, as opposed to us and the way we look at the world. That we would um, enter into the lives of those that, that make us uncomfortable um, and uh, that we would learn something about you as we walk with, with all different types of people. Please be with us as we worship you now, God, and, and um, just continue to form our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen.